Brother Troy Spratling comes from a family of seven boys that raised wheat in Northeast Oregon. He served as a missionary in the Texas-Dallas Mission. Troy came to BYU-Idaho in 1999 to teach automotive technology. He has served as a department chair and an associate dean. Brother Spratling and his wife Shelley met at BYU and were married in 1983. Their four children are all married and they have seven grandchildren. Troy and Shelley enjoy hiking, cross-country skiing, and camping. Troy has previously served as bishop in his home ward and in a campus YSA ward. Troy and Shelley currently serve in the primary in their home ward. You young people are a wonderful sight, and it doesn't seem that long ago that I was young and in school. After graduating from my college days, I started my teaching career teaching automotive technology at a large high school where about 180 students passed through my, my classroom door, my shop door, each day. I was teaching also one night a week at a, for the county emissions program where we lived at that time. My wife Shelly and I were raising our children and striving to live the gospel the best that we knew how. And I was also working on a master's degree. I was also serving as Ward Young Men's president, and I felt that I could not handle one more thing. I received a phone call one evening from a brother in the ward who uh, was serving as the ward activities chairperson. He asked if I could have the young men perform a skit at a ward activity scheduled in about three weeks. I assured him we could, but unfortunately, I put off the assignment and didn't give it a whole lot of thought until he called me three nights before the activity to see if the young men were prepared. I said, I'm sorry, we won't be performing anything that night. We are not prepared. He retorted, I gave you an assignment and I expect you to live up to it. You agreed to it. I expect, the ward expects, that you'll have the young men ready for their part that night. Well, I was puzzled and bothered at his response, and I wanted to react. But something inside of me, a feeling, helped me understand that I needed to be cautious in my reply. I didn't realize it then, but looking back now, I see that I was in a moment of what Stephen R. Covey describes as the space between stimulus and response. In his book, The, Highly, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, it states, between stimulus and response, man has the freedom to choose. Our power to choose a response in a large sense defines who we are. All of us are created with a conscience or the light of Christ in that we have an inner awareness of what is right and wrong in regard to our personal behavior. We choose our thoughts, our words, and our actions. Elder Bednar in 2006 shared this in a talk entitled, And Nothing Shall Offend Them. It is ultimately impossible for another person to offend you or to offend me. Indeed, believing that another person has offended us is fundamentally false. We make. To be offended is a choice that we make. In his book, Bonds That Make Us Free, Terry Warner shares this. 
When we act with integrity, according to what we feel is right, we have nothing to cover up. We don't have to spend any effort in trying to make it seem right. Well, here I was at the crossroads of choice, debating in my heart whether to comply with what I had agreed to earlier or to choose to be upset in an effort to cover up my injured feelings. For I was receiving correction for my not being prepared. And I was basically contemplating to either be right with this good brother and myself or to take offense. This past week on the devotional discussion board, I posed this question. How can we develop the strength of character to not take offense in our interactions with others? I was amazed at how many responses there were, and I wish to mention a few. Sherry stated, Offense is how we perceive it. It is in our decided judgment that causes the reaction. Chantel, we expect others to be perfect in their responses and actions, yet we hope to be given the benefit of the doubt. Another Sherry, letting someone offend me gives away my power. And Chelsea, I have learned that taking offense has never solved the problem. It has just intensified it. In last week's devotional, my brother Merrick, finding purpose and having courage, he shared something that Elder Bednar taught while he was president here at BYU-Idaho, something I wish to rephrase or restate. To quote, the faculty, staff, students, ecclesiastical leaders, and so forth have a responsibility to impact, impact each other for good. Each interaction with a student or colleague has a potential teaching and learning opportunity. Close quote. After reflecting on this statement, I would add, it is in our interactions with others that part of impacting, impacting each other for good is to be a good listener, to be teachable, and to have the courage to examine ourselves. How we interact with others often brings out the natural man within us. You and I mingle with various individuals every day, and we make decisions every day, every minute of the day. And a big part of this life is about overcoming some of those natural tendencies in order to become more of what Christ would have us become. Pahoran is a great example of someone who did not take offense. He had the strength of character to look beyond some scathing comments he had received from Captain Moroni. In a talk entitled, Meek and Lowly of Heart, Elder Bednar describes how Pahoran, the chief judge of the Nephites, responded to Captain Moroni. I wish now to paraphrase what he shared. During a perilous period of war, an exchange of epistles occurred between Captain Moroni and Pahoran. Moroni, whose army was suffering because of inadequate support from the government, wrote to Pahoran by way of condemnation and accused him and his fellow leaders of thoughtlessness, slothfulness, neglect, even being traitors. Pahoran easily might have resented Moroni and his inaccurate allegations, but he did not. He responded compassionately and described a rebellion against the government about which Moroni was not aware. And then Pahoran declared, Behold, I say unto you, Moroni, that I do not enjoy 
or joy in your afflictions. Yea, it grieves my soul. In your epistle you have censured me, but it mattereth not. I am not angry, but do rejoice in the greatness of your heart. Elder Bednar then explains why Pahoran was able to respond the way he did. Pahoran was blessed with perspective and strong self-restraint to act rather than react. As he explained to Moroni the challenges arising from a rebellion against the government, Pahoran was a person that was meek, and a person who is meek is not weak. Courageous, not timid, and gracious, not brash. A meek person is not easily provoked and readily acknowledges the accomplishments of others. In my view, Pohoran's response parallels something President Russell M. Nelson has challenged us to do, and that is to respond to others in a higher, more Christ-like way. In April 2022, in an address entitled The Power of Spiritual Momentum, he stated, My call today, dear brothers and sisters, is to end conflicts that are raging in your heart, in your home, and in your life. Bury any and all inclinations to hurt others, whether those inclinations be a temper, a sharp tongue, or a resentment for someone who has hurt you. The Savior commanded us to turn the other cheek, to love our enemies, and to pray for those who despitefully use us. It can be painfully difficult to let go of anger that feels so justified, and yet the Savior admonished us to forgive all men. How can we expect peace to exist in the world when we are not individually seeking peace and harmony? Brothers and sisters, I know what I'm suggesting is not easy. I plead with you to do all you can to end personal conflicts. One form of personal conflict is when we hold a grudge because we have chosen to be offended by what someone else has done or may have said. And quite often, the other person doesn't even know that they have offended us. In the end, the spirit withdraws unless we make things right with the other person. An early church history example of making amends after an offense is depicted in this brief story of Joseph and Emma Smith. David Whitmer, who witnessed the incident, recorded this. Joseph Smith was a religious and straightforward man. He had to trust in God. He could not translate, translate unless he was humble and possessed the right feelings towards everyone. One morning, he was getting ready to, to continue the translation, and something went wrong about the house, and he was put out about it, something that Emma had done. Oliver and I went upstairs, and Joseph came up soon afterwards to continue the translation. But he could not do anything. He could not translate a single syllable. He went downstairs, out into the orchard, and made supplication with the Lord. He was gone about an hour, came back to the house, and asked Emma's forgiveness, and then came upstairs where we were, and the translation went on all right. He could do nothing save he was humble and faithful. All of us, at various times, live and struggle with choosing whether or not to become offended. Some years ago, before I came to BYU-Idaho, I was experiencing some, experiencing some turbulence in my own life, largely because of how I chose to react in regard to others. 
I wasn't happy, and I was quick to point out fault in others. I didn't do it publicly or out loud, typically, but it was something I did in my heart and under my breath. It took me a while to admit that I wasn't happy, for I was, for the most part, someone who could be offended easily. It was at this point in my life I decided to do some real searching and pleading with the Lord for an improvement in attitude. I was attracted to conference talks as never before, and I read and reread some selected talks a number of times over a period of months. After a time, I decided that I was willing to do about anything to become happier, and I needed God's help. In the process of all of this, I came up with a little saying that I would, I would rehearse under my breath whenever I felt I was approaching the weakness to become easily offended. I would stop and say to myself this, I'm probably wrong in my assumptions about so-and-so, and Troy, you need to work on your own weaknesses. What led me to develop such a phrase? Perhaps it was from these two insights from the foremost conference talk that I read several times during this period. It was President Ezra Taft Benson's talk, Beware of Pride. Two lines that I discovered from this talk penetrated my heart and caused me to examine myself like never before. Here they are. Pride is a sin that can readily be seen in others, but is rarely admitted in ourselves. Think on this, rarely admitted in ourselves. Here's the second. There is a far more common ailment among us that is pride from the bottom looking up. It is manifest in so many ways, such as fault-finding, gossiping, backbiting, murmuring, living beyond our means, envying, coveting, withholding gratitude and praise that might lift another. The part about withholding gratitude and praise that might lift another really struck me. It was then that I decided to try something new to give compliments to others instead of harboring an incorrect assumption, a judgment. I noticed a difference right away as I started and I started improving and feeling better at a rate I didn't expect. And the responses I received back from those whom I gave a simple word of encouragement to built my confidence in that their compliments to me in return gave me something more than I had anticipated. A story is told of Charles W. Penrose. He was a convert to the church and served in a, in, as a missionary in England for some 11 years. When he was released, he sold some of his belongings to pay for his drip, trip back home or back to Zion. Some of the saints observing him said that he was taking and selling church property. This angered him so that he went upstairs in his residence, sat down, and wrote these verses. School thy feelings, O oh my brother. Train thy warm and pulses soul. Do not its emotions smother, but let wisdom's voice control. School thy feelings, there is power in the cool, collected mind. Passion shatters, reason's tower makes the clearest vision blind. School my feelings, school thy feelings. Condemnation never pass on friend or foe. 
Though the tide of accusation like a flood of truth may flow, here a defense before, de before deciding an array of light may gleam, showing thee what filth is hiding underneath the shallow stream. School thy feelings, O my brother, train thy warm, impulsive soul. Do not let its emotions smother, but let wisdom's voice control. Two scriptures that have also helped me continue and continue to help me understand the need to receive or be receptive to correction and to not take offense are these. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. And reproofs of instruction are the way of life. We need to be teachable if we are to find happiness. Schooling our feelings and being willing to accept correction is something of a repentance process. The light of Christ within us can give us a desire to improve as we, we repent. President Nelson gives us this reassurance about our striving to improve. Nothing is more liberating, more ennobling, or more crucial to our individual progression than as a regular daily focus on repentance. So how did I respond to the good brother in my ward who asked me to have the young men perform a skit at Award Social. This one time, I happened to listen to a quiet, calm feeling that prompted me to correct my reply in a cautious way and to not take offense. As I did so, a feeling of relief swept over me as I changed my answer from not being prepared and unsupportive to the prior response that I had agreed to initially. I assured him that I, was, I would have the young men ready for the ward activity. After I hung up the phone, an impression came to my mind in a very clear way. It was this, that the young men of the ward would be much better served by my not taking offense and instead be supportive of a ward activity and to a fellow ward member who is trying to do his best in fulfilling his calling. I was then prompted to call one of my counselors and explained what we needed to come up with in the next three days, who, after listening to me and the predicament I had gotten myself into, said this, Leave it to me. I have an idea that the young men and the ward members will all enjoy. Here again, a feeling of relief and gratitude came as this load was lifted from me. I gained a confidence that day that being willing to receive correction is part of life, and that the Lord is generous to us as we strive to improve ourselves. A few days later, the young men did perform their skit, and thanks to my fellow ward uh, young men's presidency member, it was a, su a success. But there is more to this story. Eighteen months or so after this activity, the good brother of our ward who served as activities chair was called to serve as bishop of the ward and he asked that I serve as a counselor. To him, the new bishopric. It was then that I became even more appreciative that I had not reacted but did respond in a positive way. When we are receptive to correction, 
and not easily offended. It is like what President Nelson says about repentance, that it is most liberating and ennobling. I, in closing, I wish to share what the Lord admonished his disciples, that they should not be offended. May we somehow remember Pahorn's example of self-restraint when we find ourselves in that space between stimulus and response. And in those times when we do take offense, may we remember Brother Joseph's willingness to correct himself in order to make things right with Emma and with the Spirit. The Lord's, the Lord's perfect atonement can enable us through our imperfections to accept reproofs and to make amends. Schooling our feelings is liberating and allows the light of Christ to be more present in our lives. Of this I testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.